Good morning. My name's Jeff. Uh, I'll be bringing us the second Bible reading from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, and it can be found on page 1222 of the Pew Bible. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, <clears throat> he, <clears throat> he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with all of you here this morning and it's a great privilege uh, to be here as uh, we look at what Galatians chapter 6 uh, has to say to us today. Um, but before we begin, um, let us pray. Father God, as we sit under your word, please change our hearts so that we might be a church that bears each other's burdens in love. Please open our hearts, minds and affections to the instruction of your word. Amen. Uh, well, as you heard before, um, fishing is one of my favourite hobbies, and every fisherman's dream is to land what's known as a barrel tuna. Now, when you're tuna fishing, most fish are going to be smaller, in the kind of 10 to 20 kilo range, um, but that's more than enough for dinner. But a barrel tuna is a fish that's upwards of 50 kilos, uh, with some growing in excess of 100 kilos. A few years ago, I was on a fishing trip with a couple of friends, and we'd spent the morning catching lots of these smaller fish, so we had plenty to eat. Then, just after lunch, my rod buckled over uh, as we hooked onto this jumbo tuna, and the three of us took turns wrestling with this monster. Uh, and after four and a half hours, in very rough conditions at sea, we finally landed the fish a giant bluefin tuna weighing in at 96 kilos. We were exhausted but also elated that we'd finally landed our prize barrel. And we all agreed there was no way we were able to do it on our own. We had to work together. And so there's the photo, I think it should be coming up. And what made it a great fishing trip was that we were able to work together. It was hard and it was laborious. We were all really seasick. Uh, but because we were there for one another, to share in the task, it was, a, it was a successful trip, and we landed that fish of a lifetime. The life of the church is a bit like going on a fishing trip. We're on a mission together. And if we're going to succeed, we're going to need each other, because it's tough. 
And in our passage today, Paul speaks about three burdens we are to bear for one another. The burdens of the sinner, the burdens of the ones who teach, and the burdens of each other. For the church walking in the Spirit, it's not about each of us doing our own thing, but it's about doing it together, serving each other, loving one another by burden bearing. The first burden the church is called to bear is the burden of the sinner. And if you've been around in church circles for long enough, you've probably seen someone in the church fail morally, whether it's that famous preacher or someone closer to home, maybe that friend who's no longer amongst us. If you have, think back, what was, what was your reaction? Did you feel embarrassed for them? And what did their brothers and sisters do? Did they ignore what was happening and just excuse it? Did the person fade away and eventually leave the church? Perhaps even worse than this, there was judgment or gossip. When confronted with sin in the church, it's easy, it's tempting to think, how can I take the easy way out and feel comfortable? Or even unconsciously seek to elevate ourselves above the sinner. But Paul says, be different. Not to deny the ugliness of sin, but to acknowledge the preciousness of the sinner as one in God's family. And so he calls us as Christians, redeemed by Christ and walking by the Spirit, to bear the burdens of the sinner. Read with me in verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If someone is caught in sin, entangled by sin, our thoughts usually turn to, how do we fix the sinner? What should they do? Well, they need to repent, of course, turn away from sin, flee from temptation and towards God, of course. But look again, who is Paul speaking to here? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. The audience here that Paul is speaking to is not the sinner, but to his brothers and sisters in the church. Other parts of the Bible speak to the need for repentance, but the instruction here is to the brothers and sisters of the one caught in sin. It is to their church family. It is to us, not to the sinner, but to you and to me. Paul gives an instruction to restore gently as people who are spiritual, who live by the Spirit. And so the goal for Christians is always gentle restoration. On the one hand, we need to be tough with sin, but on the other, we need to be tender with the sinner. And it's hard work. Verse 2 calls it a burden. Restoration is a difficult thing. Unlike that fishing trip, I have nothing to gain from getting involved. In fact, to rebuke someone and point them back towards Christ means we're getting involved in something messy and broken. And our own lives are messy enough as they are, aren't they? It's costly to love in this way. And so the burden of sin, it has a heavy weight. Yet the Galatian church is being called to carry and share it. But God also gives us the why in verse 2. It's the big why of the whole passage. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The reason we do it is to fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Well, Paul told us in chapter 5. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Our motivation is love. It is our faith expressing itself through love. And part of that is this, gently restoring the sinner. And now, why gentleness? Well, as we read in chapter 5, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and Paul is talking to those who are spiritual. One thing I found fascinating as I was preparing for today is that this word restore is the same word used in medicine for setting back a dislocated bone or joint in place. So if we think of the church as a hospital for sinners, there's a bunch of us walking around with, with dislocated shoulders. And if you've ever seen athletes in the field have their joints popped back into place, they put on a brave face, but it sure does look painful. So in one respect, the gentleness is for the sake of the sinner, that we treat them lovingly. It's going to be a painful church if everyone has dislocated bones and joints. We need to treat them with gentleness. I've been on the eldership for about a year now, and there have been times where we've had to restore those who, who are caught up in sin. And it's not an easy thing to do, but I've watched as my fellow elders have treated them with gentleness as they seek to restore. It is a beautiful thing in action, and, but it's not just a job for the elders, it's all of us in the family of God. But in addition to the gentleness being for the sake of the sinner, it's also for the sake of the restorer, the one popping the dislocated joint back in. Remember, this passage is for them. And we get a clue of this from the verses that follow, that there's this sense of humility that comes into gentle restoration. Verse 3 and 4. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each should test their own actions. Paul tells the church, don't deceive yourselves. And how, how do we deceive ourselves in gentle restoration? Well, we read it in verse 3, if you're thinking you are something when you're not. And we read it in verse 4, comparing yourselves to someone else. It's a classic Pharisaic attitude, isn't it? But Paul tells the Galatian church, don't fall into that trap of pride in saying, I'm better than you are, because you're not. And he really doesn't hold back. He says, don't think you're something. You are nothing. We are all sinners and prone to sin after all. It's why we're told in verse 2 to watch ourselves that we're not also tempted. And so to avoid this self-deception, we're instructed to test our own actions. Rather than comparing ourselves to others, we're to examine our hearts, our minds and affections for any pride that prevents us from lovingly restoring our brother or sister caught in sin. And if we do this, these verses say that we can take pride in ourselves as we carry our own load. Now, at face value, that seems a bit confusing and contradictory, doesn't it? Because we were just told to check our pride and carry each other's loads. But Paul here is reinforcing the point, telling us not to compare ourselves because each person has their own load or is on their own journey of sanctification which means that there are some newer Christians earlier on in their journey of being changed by God, 
while there are others more mature in their walk. But regardless of where we're at, if we have this right attitude, we can rejoice in what God has done in us and our brother and sister. And it's something I must often check my own heart for as a regular churchgoer. Is my humility a false humility? When I look at my brother or sister, am I comparing? I wonder if that ever creeps into our hearts. It is easy to compare, to look at those around us who are at a different point in their journey and feel like we're doing better. But let us be challenged instead to bear their burdens by gently and humbly restoring the sinner. The second burden the church is called to bear are the burdens of those who teach us. Verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction should share all good things with the instructor. Now this is in the church context and speaks to how we are to carry the burdens of the ones who teach. We are to share all good things with them. Now what might all good things encompass? Perhaps it's a word of encouragement or to uphold our teachers in prayer. In a more physical sense, it might be blessing them with gifts or a home-cooked meal to show our appreciation. And while sure, it can be all of these things, after all, Paul does say, all good things. But in its most practical sense, it's also got to be the obvious, which is financial support. It's not limited to it, but it absolutely includes it. And both Paul and Jesus affirm this spiritual principle in several passages. The Bible says it is good for those who teach us to be supported financially. And more than just being good, it's a command. It's deserved. It's something Jesus says we should do. Sometimes in churches there's this expectation that pastors should live on the bare minimum as a sign of their discipleship. But the biblical principle is to the contrary. And it's not because we want our ministers to be wealthy, but because of what's at stake. Martin Luther put it this way, I've often wondered why all the apostles reiterated this request with such embarrassing frequency. We have come to understand why it's so necessary to repeat the admonition of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish his purpose by striking the ministers of the gospel with poverty. In this sense, the sharing of all good things is not just a financial matter, but a spiritual one. This is what is at stake, the preaching of the gospel. And as we read on, we'll find that God will call us to account for what we share or what we do not share. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. When it comes to how we are stewarding what God has given us, others might not know what we're up to, but God knows. He cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. Who are we to think that the almighty God who holds the universe in the palm of his hands can be mocked? He is the one who created us, who knows our every thought and deed. Who could ever think that we could fool him? He is all-knowing. We might fool our brothers and sisters. We might even fool ourselves into thinking we are generous when we're not. 10% might be very generous for someone who has little, but for those who have more, 10% might not be generous at all. But there's no way into tricking God we are being faithful if we are not. And there might not be any immediate consequences for neglecting God's servants. But at the end of the day, God will call us to account. 
verse 7 and 8. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You see, the sharing of good things with teachers isn't throwing away money or even about payment for a job. These verses show us it's like planting seeds for the kingdom of heaven. And Paul warns us in verse 8 that if we sow to the flesh, if we waste our resources on worldly pleasures, we will reap destruction. But if we sow to please the Spirit by sharing these good things, then we will reap eternal life. And as I was reflecting on these verses, I was reminded that we don't fully know what heaven will be like. And what I mean by that is that when we imagine the glory of heaven with all of the saints of God gathered together, that wonderful picture, the spiritual reality will be that there are people we don't even know about who we will see in heaven because all those years ago we supported that missionary, that youth worker or that minister. Absolutely, we need to take care of our families, pay our bills, and it's a good thing to be able to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. But Paul warns us here that we don't let idolatry creep in. Our spending speaks. What we love, we spend our money on. It's something I often need to audit. As I mentioned, I enjoy fishing, and I can spend money on fishing gear and fishing trips, and trust me, there's plenty to splurge on. But if I'm spending all of that money on fishing and leaving the leftovers for sowing seeds, then where is my heart really at? I can make up all kinds of excuses to to justify it. You know, I'm giving here, over here to this and that, and our church already has lots of generous givers. We know mortgage rates have gone up and everything's so expensive these days. I mean, $12 lettuces. But will I mock God in this way? Giving is not discretionary for the Christian. It's a spiritual discipline for those who live by the Spirit as we practice love, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And perhaps we don't speak about it enough. Luther also said about passages like this, I must say I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses. I'm made to appear as if I'm speaking for my own benefit. But it just so happens you have me here today and I'm not a paid minister of this church. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to implore you as Paul did. Let us share all good things with those who teach us because their gospel work is valuable and it's lasting. And for us, it's a matter of godliness. And yes, it's a burden, it's costly. If we don't feel this burden, it's not really a burden, is it? If we're giving from our first fruits, it necessarily means we're forgoing something. It might mean we love ourselves a little less and our teachers in the church a little more. It might mean placing less value on the worldly things that bring us pleasure and finding pleasure in sowing seeds for the kingdom of heaven. But it's worth it because it has eternal consequences. Now, if our hearts don't feel challenged enough, Paul has a third category of burdens we are to bear. It's the burdens of all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's basically everyone. It's a big task. But Paul gets it. He knows that all this burden bearing is exhausting, and he gives us an exhortation. Verse 9. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, doing good is hard work. We are carrying loads and burdens. And Paul knows, and God knows, that we're prone to tire and lose our patience. We might lose heart when we see that our burden-bearing doesn't have immediate results. The The work is hard and painful, yet it's also unfinished and unrewarded. Perhaps we've been trying to gently restore that person for a long time, but they've been unwilling. Or we've been giving faithfully for so long to sow those seeds, but the harvest is really not that impressive. Over the last few years, we've been through a lot in the pandemic. We're exhausted. Everyone has been carrying burdens. And as life returns to normal, we get busy, but maybe we're struggling to adjust to the demands of life. In that type of season, it can be easy to become inward-looking and overlook how we can love and serve each other. But as believers in the last days, Paul tells us it's exactly when we feel like this that we must hang on and not grow weary. And we do so by the power of the Spirit. Paul exhorts the church in verse 10, let us do it since we have the opportunity to do so, even as we're growing weary in the last days, even as the work is hard and painful and we're losing heart. And he reminds us of the reason that if we don't give up, in God's timing, we will reap a harvest because we are sowing and reaping for the kingdom of God. And we're called to do good to all people, especially those within the church. Now, we all have burdens. And one of the burdens I've been carrying recently is trying to care for my father who has Alzheimer's. And here we are last week spending some time together. Now, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, and we've been struggling to get Dad the right care that he needs because of staff shortages in the aged care sector. And some in my growth group have been bearing my burden with me, faithfully praying for Dad. Each week at the start of growth group, we take some time to catch up and pray for the church and for each other. And it's one of the things I love about our growth group family, as we do life together. And I do feel very loved by my brothers and sisters as they share in this burden. It's one of the reasons God places us into this family together, isn't it? To not do life alone, but to bear each other's burdens. And when life's burdens are heavy, it's easy for me to focus on myself and my own burdens and not to worry about anyone else's. But will I only love and serve myself? Or will I instead love and serve my brothers and sisters and bear their burdens? Think about a time someone has helped you bear one of your burdens. How did that make you feel? How might you seek to love someone in the same way? So what does burden bearing look like for us? These are heavy burdens, but I want to leave you with three things. Firstly, these burdens are heavy burdens but we are spirit-enabled. And so if we've arrived here at the end of the passage thinking, wow, that's a big task, it's a heavy burden to take on, you're not alone, I, I feel it too. But the comfort we can take is knowing that it's all spirit-enabled. Remember, this is the believer who is walking by the spirit. God's spirit will help us to carry each other's burdens in love. As you walk beside the sinner, as you carry the burdens of those who teach, 
As you seek to do good to everyone, we do it not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now secondly, it's a heavy burden, but our hearts have been changed by God. We've moved from gratifying our flesh to walking in the Spirit. It's not that we bear each other's burdens to gain credit with God or to impress those in the church. Paul's just spent the majority of Galatians affirming that our position with God is firm and secure through our faith in Christ alone. But the product of our faith is an expression of love. It is this, to bear each other's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ to love our neighbour. What is happening in our hearts as we do life together helps us to see if we are a spirit-filled people. Our hearts, changed by the gospel, go go from an attitude of self-centeredness to other person-centeredness. And so how will our hearts change to bear the burdens of the family of God? How will we treat the sinner? There might be someone you know who you can see is slipping into sin. Will you step out of your comfort zone to love them? Perhaps you think you're not qualified, or perhaps you're worried they'll get angry or defensive. But motivated by love, how might you invest in that person's life and walk beside them to gently restore them? How will we treat those who teach us? Will we bear the burdens even though we know that our generous sharing of all good things often won't be recognised or have immediate results? Remembering that God cannot be mocked, what might we do with those excuses we've been making when it comes to giving? Imagine the next time you're asked for support from an MTS trainee, missionary or ministry worker, that your default answer was yes instead of no. Or imagine that here at St Stephen's, because of our generous giving, we were able to see our ministry team double in size so that our gospel impact might be even greater. And how will we treat each other and everyone else? It's been so encouraging to see how you've all cared for each other over the pandemic. It's been a tough season of life for many. You might be weary, burden-bearing is exhausting, and it's tempting to retreat and look inwards. But let us not give up now. As we walk away from the service today, might I be challenged not to think about myself, but the one I sat next to? Did I notice that someone was not here today? What about the couple who looked down or tired, or that person who was sitting alone? What a beautiful church it is that helps each other through life. A church that prays for one another often, that embraces and cares for each and every member, pointing one another to Christ. And thirdly, these are heavy burdens, but there is a harvest to be reaped. We know that God is going to save, more disciples of Jesus are going to be made and matured, a harvest he will reap. Take a moment and wonder with me. Imagine if in our burden sharing, our love was so evident that any newcomer could see it. The way we do good to one another unceasingly, the way we gently restore, the way we share all good things with those who teach and with each other. In a world that is by and large self-interested, quick to criticise and swift to strike down, how different and how attractive would our church be as a witness to Christ? The reality is that we're not on a fishing trip. 
but something far more important. We're called to be fishers of men, to make and mature disciples of Jesus. And if we're going to be successful, we need to do it together. So let our burden bearing extend to every facet of church life. Let us love each other in this way, by God's grace and in God's strength. Let us pray. Father God, in your mercy, you have saved us. And when you save us, you save us into this wonderful church family. As we walk in step with the Spirit, help us to do life together. Challenge us to bear each other's burdens in love. So that for the sake of your glory, our church might be a wonderful witness for you and reap the harvest you have in store. Amen.